This is realestateinvestingmastery.com. Oh, yeah. Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Real Estate Investing Mastery. This is Joe McCall, and my host also with me is Alex Youngblood. How you doing, Alex? Good. How's everybody doing? Very good. As usual, you're on vacation, not doing anything, being lazy. <laughs> yes. This, uh, I am up in New England this week. Right. Well, you're not on vacation, but you are not at home. and uh, I'm a relocation. Right. So you um, tell us a little bit about this. Well, first of all, everybody go to realestateinvestingmastery.com, fill out your name and email on there, and you'll get access to some bonuses that we have where Alex and I shared with everybody how we do our businesses. We really pulled back the curtain. We showed you what we do and how we do it. We talked about virtual assistants. We talked about marketing. Uh, we talked about uh, how to do wholesaling, how to do wholesaling of lease options. Um, we just gave a lot of really, really, really good stuff in there, probably about five or six hours of video um, and spreadsheets and stuff like that. So check it out, realestateinvestingmastery.com. Sign up for those bonuses and you get them immediately. Also, we really appreciate you leaving reviews in iTunes for this podcast. Uh, it's really been growing by leaps and bounds, uh, and we really appreciate that. Um, the more reviews that you can leave in iTunes, the the better our rankings are and it really helps get us up there at the top of iTunes. Um, what we would like you to do, if you want to leave a review, just go into iTunes and do a search for real estate investing. Do a search for real estate investing and then go to podcasts and you'll find ours, ours up there at the top. Um, and then click on that, subscribe to it. Um, and you don't have to have uh, an MP3 player or an iPhone or a Mac or even iTunes. Um, to listen to these podcasts, you can always listen to them on our website. But I know we have a lot of people listening on Blackberries, uh, Microsoft Zoom players, and things like that. But if you can leave us a review, that would be really, really cool. So, um, yeah, Alex, there was a hurricane recently up there in the East Coast. Yeah, that's exactly why we uh, actually are up here in New England. Um, we we kind of uh, took a little uh, trip away from the storm because it blew into Virginia pretty hard. Yeah, we well, lost yeah, power in actually, Virginia, didn't you? Your home? Yeah, home. yeah, we lost power. We lost trees. People were swimming in the streets of Norfolk. It was uh, it was wonderful. <laughs> wow. So you're just yeah, hanging out yeah. with some family up there in New yeah, England. Yeah, yeah, and then and then tomorrow we'll be in New York um, with my. Uh, uh, my parents, and then from there we go back to Virginia. So okay, it's go. a good, it's good, good little, good little trip. Always good to see family, good to hang out, and uh, let let my uh, in laws see the grandkids, and my parents see, see their grandkids, and uh, so it's a good time. And it's a, it's really cool that I can do something like this as well and carry my business with me because uh, you know that, that's priceless. Well, you we, just closed uh, on a deal yesterday, didn't you? Yep, yep, closed on a deal for uh, 29,000 bananas, as I like to say. <laughs> That's awesome. And what market was yep. that in? That was uh, Norfolk, my okay. my Hampton Roads market. Very nice. Good for you, man. Yep. Good for you. I think for, for me, things have been going crazy. Um, this podcast is a lot of work. I'm enjoying it. Um, 
but yeah, still doing no, I, deals. I, I think this is this is awesome. I, I mean, I've been hearing we have like close to 700 downloads a day. I mean, yeah. that's that's excellent. People really loving this information and getting a lot from it. And I mean, that's uh, that means a lot to me. Well, we're also getting people from China, South Korea, and Japan. Next to the United States, those are the three top countries for downloads. So, hello, you guys in China and Japan <laughs> and, and Korea. I don't know which Korea, probably the south, the southern one. But, but, uh, Konnichiwa. Yeah, hello, <laughs> and uh, thanks for listening. But um, my, I got some uh, VAs now, Alex, that are making cold calls for me. And uh, it's awesome. They've gotten three properties under contract for me in the last couple, three weeks. Um and they're just calling That's up awesome. Craigslist ads. They're calling up Craigslist That's ads awesome. saying, hey, do you want to at least purchase your house? Um, so. Well, there's, I, I, uh, I saw that. I, and, and with Craigslist, it's actually a really viable way of finding deals. I have um, uh, in my wholesaling um, houses full-time group on Facebook, I just saw a, a girl on there who uh, got like two or three houses under contract yesterday just from calling Facebook ads. And I think the same day she put an ad on Craigslist for buyers and found buyers that way. And uh, she's going to make some money. Well, right now we're (laughs) coming into the fall. This is one of the best times of the year to to get motivated sellers Um, because summer's over and people are nervous. You know, they're going to think they think they have to wait until next summer before they can sell their house. It's a great time to pick up deals, and there's still buyers out there looking for homes even in the fall. But now I know how motivated sellers feel because even houses that um, I've rehabbed, I'm like, oh no, <laughs> the the selling season yeah. is gone. Oh yeah. Which, <laughs> but actually, December has been one of the better months. Uh, I've had tremendous December's at, at times. Um, I I don't know, just stars aligned, I guess, and things worked out, but. Right. You know, but you're right. Now is the time to rack up, uh, get as many leads as you can, get as many contracts as you can to stock up and uh, have a good uh, fall and, and Christmas or December and then obviously moving into next year in spring. It's crazy. I feel old saying that, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, um, Al- Alex has started a really, really good Facebook page. It's a group on Facebook. It's probably the best Facebook group and real estate related that I've ever seen. Um, there's no spammy ads in it. It's uh, the it's called, best. Yeah, it's called <laughs> Wholesaling Houses Full Time. Just go to Facebook, search for Wholesaling Houses Full Time. Very active community. Check it out. Um, and uh, Alex is doing a great job managing that and keeping the spammers at bay. I mean, if you look at any other Facebook group, it's just flooded with ads and, and, and junk. And whoever reads that, I don't know. But um, this is a good Yeah, and some people, for some reason, um, think uh, that there should be no moderation and there should just be posts galore. For that, I just scratch my head. But, you know, I just continue to keep it as clean and real estate-oriented and spam-free as possible. That's right. So... Well, cool. Listen, we're excited about this guy we have on the uh, interview with us today. His name is Michael Jake. He's from Colorado Springs, Colorado. Um, some of you have ever looked on YouTube for real estate investing. You'll probably see a lot of his videos. His channel on YouTube is called Local Mentor, and uh, his website is also Local Mentor. You can also find him at michaeljake.com. But one of the coolest things about Michael that we wanted to get him on the phone for um, was because he's doing deals and he's doing a lot of deals and he's a marketing machine. He understands that in this business, 
Nothing, absolutely nothing is more important than leads. Nothing is more important than marketing. Uh, he understands we're not in the real estate business. We're in the marketing, the sales and marketing business. And uh, he's doing a bunch of deals, and he's very good with creative real estate. Um, he wholesales and rehabs a lot of homes. But um, he's very good with buying homes creatively. You know, it could be uh, interest-free or principal-only owner finance, principal-only payments, owner financing. Um, it could be taking over mortgages of homes, doing rent-to-owns and lease options. But uh, I'm excited to have him on here, and, and we're going to be drilling him with questions on you know, how he does his marketing, where he gets his leads from, uh, how he makes his offers, and, 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 and good stuff like that. So, Michael, are you there? How are you doing? I am here. I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, guys. So you're you're in Colorado Springs, Colorado. Um, I love Colorado. And I love it too. That's why I moved here. <laughs> I was in um, uh, Winter Park a few months ago, and it was like a hundred degrees here in St. Louis. It was seventy degrees there. And the great thing about real estate is uh, I was able to. We were we took a week vacation, and we decided last minute just to extend it. I didn't have to ask my boss for permission. Uh, we just were out there and we said, let's just stay a little bit longer. And I was able to do some work like Alex is doing from where he's at. I was able to still do the work I needed to do from there while my my family was on vacation. But um, that's uh, it's a wonderful thing we've been blessed with, isn't it, Michael? It is. And I, and I think if you put your mind to it, you can, you can set your business up to allow you to do those things. And uh, my wife and I both like to travel a lot and, and go take vacations and Often it's just right around Colorado, but it might be uh, <laughs> far enough away that, uh, you know, I can't be here locally, but uh, we figured out a way to still do those things and get things done that we need to get done. Tell us about your family. How many kids do you have? Uh, I have one awesome son, Joshua. He okay. just turned seven, Good and uh, I have a wonderful wife who I am in business with, uh, Lori, who... Um, awesome been quite the whirlwind since I've met Lord. We met in 2001, got married in 2002 and 2003, started a real estate company 2004. I quit my job. Uh, 2005, she quit her job. Wow. <laughs> we've uh, it's been go, go, go ever since. So you, she works with you in the business? Yeah, I do. Uh, I do buy side and I, I do more of the buying stuff and she basically runs the uh, kind of manages the office and manages contractors and fills the houses uh, we have another assistant we have a lot of subcontractors but uh, my my way to boil it down as simple is I create the messes and she cleans them up <laughs> Meaning <laughs> I, I buy problems and then you know we come up with a plan on how to solve the problem with the property and then uh, she implements it so That's are awesome. you a realtor Mike I'm not no oh okay cool you don't meet too many people that get to work with their spouses and and uh, still be married. That's excellent. <laughs> yes, we we figured out a way to get along. <laughs> Good for you. And um, I guess it's with a seven year old. I have a seven year old too, and I get to take him around with me sometimes to to uh, go see houses and bring him with me to meet sellers even. And uh, I call him my partner in crime. It's uh, <laughs> nice. It's it's fun. I love having kids. Alex, you have. Um, I always forget two or three. I have two. That's two. Right. I have one. One that is sixteen months old, and I have one that is uh, two and a half. <laughs> Both of you guys need to get more kids. 
So, <laughs> Michael, talk about how you got started in real estate. What were you doing before? Uh, well, I, I have a degree in business operations, but um, right when I graduated, I got recruited by a uh, consulting company that was primarily uh, primarily information technology consulting. Okay. And basically did pretty well in, in IT and, you know, in the late 90s, salaries were going, you know, through the roof. We were getting more than one raise per year. Um, things were good. And pretty much in late 99 is when I moved to Colorado. And uh, again, the market was still pretty strong into 2000. But right after the millennium, things started changing. And a lot of the salaries were costing a lot of companies too much money. So they started looking for outsourcing opportunities. And just like a lot of real estate investors do today, uh, we outsource people from other countries that will do a good job at a lower wage. Uh, they were doing the same thing. And you know, wave uh, wave one of layoffs hit me like a ton of bricks, and I was, uh, it, you know, I, I I don't like talking about it, but it's, <laughs> it, you know, I was yeah. living on my next pay raise. I wasn't being smart financially, and uh, that was a big slap in the face of reality. And um, you know, I had a really good friend uh, I've known since third grade, my friend Sean, and he had done very well in real estate and I was talking to him on the phone telling him my woes and Sean was telling me about the 24 unit apartment complex he was he was buying and he was writing a $250,000 check as a down payment uh, and I'm like where are, you, where are you getting that money and he's like I'm just writing a check and I mean I, I, I just I mean I couldn't even, honestly at that time in my life I couldn't conceive of the ability to write a check that size oh. um, but I figured there must be something to this real estate thing and uh you know, uh, that was kind of my, I guess, why I started looking at real estate. I had I had bought a first property to live in, uh, knowing that at some point I would turn it to a rental. And my plan was to slowly, over time, buy some rentals, uh, you know, following what Sean had done. When I got faced with layoffs, that process kind of got sped up. You know, what I, I need to figure out something else other than IT. There weren't a lot of job ops that were going to afford me the salary I was making here. So uh, I started looking at real estate not just from long-term wealth, but from an income standpoint. So um, luckily, my wife was very supportive. Um, I was reading every book I could get at the library, but finally, one of those you know books led me to the free preview and um, ended up at a seminar and kind of kind of went on from there. So you're out of a job, and yep. um, where's the income coming from? Was your wife working? Uh, no, no. She she was a she was a nurse practitioner. Uh, okay. She still keeps up on that, but uh, no, she helps me in the business full time. So your your back's against the wall, and you need to start making money in real estate. Um, what did you start doing? What were some of the things that you were doing early on? Well, my my early on goal was to wholesale, and it it took me a while to figure out how to do that. The, the easy way, but uh, initially, uh, I was just cold calling people. I was doing a little bit of direct mail and trying to put deals together. And from cold calling, I ended up meeting another investor, and that investor had some credit lines. And I just started pestering him and bringing him deals and bringing him deals, more or less like a bird dog capacity. Yeah. 
And, um, you know, I got told no a lot, but every time I got told no, I figured out more mm. what a good deal was. And, and finally, when I got that first deal, uh, and I brought it to him and his eyes lit up, I mean, I knew I had one. And he's like, what do you want out of it? And I said, well, <laughs> you know, I mean, magic I didn't have question. Yeah, yeah, I'm like, well, I said in a perfect world, I said I'd like to like to split it somehow. I mean, at least flip it to you for a couple of bucks or... You know, I'm willing to do some of the work. I, and uh, uh, anyway, he paid for the house. Uh, I did some sweat equity on the house. Um, he kind of paid for all the fix-up. We did some of it. Um, you know, my wife and I did some of the work. And then uh, we've sold that. We split, I think, um, I think it was about 6500 bucks on that first one was my cut. You know, we paid off his credit line. And then we split the profit. And then, you know, we quickly did another one. We quickly did another one. And, you know, these little seven, six, six thousand, seven thousand, eight thousand dollar checks started started adding up. Good. And, uh, you know, it's making a lot of money. It was making more money than I was in corporate America. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, by the end of 2003, I was really making some significant money. But uh, that's when we got pregnant with my son. And, um, we were on my insurance, so that kind of led us into 2004 when, when he was born. And I was stuck there, and I was doing a deal or two a month, and, I mean, it was killing me. <laughs> now, most of these I, were, were wholesaling deals, right, or were they rehabs? Uh, most of them were kind of, uh, I would almost say, rehabs and or hotailing, I think yeah. is the, the common term, where you do some fix-up, and then um, we did, uh, you know, I, I was basically buying some rentals at the same time because I still had some good credit um, and I was doing rent to own on the back end so some of these fix up things we started doing we did the fix up I'd put a tenant buyer in the property uh, we'd get it all leased out so we had a proven cash flow we had an established retail price and a buyer willing to pay it and then we'd go in and we'd sell it about 10% below market to an investor and then we'd get cashed out so we left them a little bit of equity. We showed them how to get financed. <laughs> whoa, 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 I mean, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> those were the days. <laughs> yeah. Well, that was, those were the days when you could get 100% uh, loan gosh. on an investor property if the numbers were right. Yeah. 10% below market. Those were the days when you would just buy a house and sit on it, and five months later you would make money. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But I mean, can you can you imagine when are, are we ever going to get back to those days when you can sell a property at ninety percent of value to an investor? Um, and I bet you were only cash flowing two or three hundred dollars a month on those properties, right? Yeah, I would say that's about right. I mean, in that price point, you know, a lot of them were, you know, kind of our lower end type homes. Yeah. So, um, you know, and that's just happened to be where I was looking. Um, well, more power to you. If you could do that. <laughs> Pardon? I said more power to you when you can do that. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, I tell you, the best thing that ever happened to me was, uh, uh, you know, so it was several months into this, but at one point I came across this. Um, I started a bird dog campaign, and one of, one of the, like the first call I had on my bird dog campaign, I was telling, you know, I didn't, I was going to set up a recorded line so I didn't have to take all the calls, but first person called before I had it set up and she's like, well, I know a house like that. And she's like, oh, my mom's house. Wow. I'm like, really? Um, so 
so I, I went out and looked at it immediately. It was a con- little, small, condemned house. Uh, the the you know the kids had all been over there, and they had literally gutted the whole inside of the house, and it was laying in a pile in the backyard. And um, I ended up negotiating that down to uh, what at forty two five, I think, was the purchase price. And uh, that was just out of sheer terror of overpaying and. I went to the guy that we were doing doing all these deals with, and he thought that was just a risky deal. And you know, at that point, I'm like, "Are you serious?" <laughs> so I basically went to the first other investor I knew and said, "Do you want this?" And I said, "You know, here's the after repair value." I said, "Here's what I think the rehab is." Not like I had any experience actually doing that type of rehab, but. Uh, I just figured 20 bucks a square foot on the interior would fix up the starter home. And it was a good enough deal that he agreed. And I made uh, 14000 well, in change, uh, on a wholesale deal. Or, sorry, sorry, I got that wrong, 24000 uh, I think it was $24,385.15, if I remember correctly. Um, but that was one... A, total, a straight up contract assignment. Um, I didn't have to do any sweat equity. I didn't have to find a buyer on the back end, and I just made about three to four times what I was making doing all that other work. Yeah. And that's when the lights went off, the bells went off. Said, you know, I really don't need somebody else's money to do this. All I need is to find these deals, put them under contract, and my next wholesale deal. Uh, I made like 18 grand on that one on a 180 some house, and um, you know, granted that was uh, not terribly ugly, and I got 80 80 cents on the dollar minus rehab on that one. And back in the day, wow. I, I could wholesale a rehab at 80 percent because they would, even with hard money, they could resell that thing at a new higher price than what they were getting, and uh, and still make money. And then they'd be fighting for the next one I'd find. So. You know, there's an interesting point or uh, in your story there that you said, you know, you went to your first investor and he told you, no, it's risky, I don't think it's any good. A lot of people, when they hear that, they're like, oh, okay, and they just give up on it and they, and, and they walk away from it. I had that happen recently on a deal, um, that I, my biggest wholesale deal ever, I, I made 75 grand on it. Wow. I, I just, yeah. Yeah, I this this. I mean, I didn't even think it was a deal at first. It was, it was interesting. I, I but I I turned it over to one of my uh, supposed land builder buyers or whatever that said, you know, oh yeah, I'll buy anything that you got, you know, land that's a good deal or whatever. And uh, it turned out that the house was a house with two extra lots next to it and buildable lots and he's like oh you probably have to sell those things for you know for $25,000 a lot for somebody to be interested or why why hasn't those lots been bought up yet or whatever you know just a really negative approach on it and I mean if I would have sold the thing to him for you know for for that cheap I would have made wouldn't made any money on it whatsoever but it's always it's always good to you know, a lot of people just kind of put their eggs in one basket with one buyer and listen to that what that one buyer has to say. But you know, what you did is you went and went right down the line to your next person, and and that's what made that money happen for you. And then you were off to the races from there. <laughs> oh, that's good. Never quit. Never quit. 
No, do do what it takes. Hey, um, I, I mean, you know, I think there's another principle I like to throw out there, and it's it's one I got from Dan Kennedy, and that's they all go lame. <laughs> and you know, doesn't matter who they are in your life, contractors, buyers, hard money lenders. At some point, they're going to go lame. You know, something's going to happen to them, and they're going to either not be there, and and that's what happened. This guy went lame. He was my bread and butter. Uh, he was my one buyer and was buying everything I could, but then I came across a problem that he wasn't interested in solving. And, you know, he liked a basic, you know, cosmetic kind of rehab property. And this was a little more of a project, but that was right up the alley of the next person in, in line. And what I realized was any of those I could find, there was always a buyer out there that would want it. I just had to have enough of those buyers. and. And, I mean, it was nothing more exotic than going to real estate clubs and hanging out and getting to know people. And it, it probably more hard for me because I'm about as introverted as one can get. And if I don't know somebody, I'm kind of like one of the wallflowers um, that, you know, sits back and doesn't talk to anybody unless somebody comes and talks to me. <laughs> so if I can do it, I think anybody can, you know, get a decent buyer's list. It'll get you through most of your uh, – you know, at least normal price points for your market. You can get through anything in, in that price point. Well, and you, you don't need a, a huge buyer's list either. You just need no, three no. or four or five people that will buy 90% of your homes. Yeah. But, uh, Michael, so this was in um, 2004, 2005, right? You're starting to wholesale deals on your own, making more money? Uh, 2003, late 2003. And then 2004, I really picked up the pace. Um, and I was also learning to do more creative finance. Uh, did yeah. a few lease options, uh, started doing subject to deals, and really picked up the steam on that. You know, I had done a few where I'd buy a, a bank-owned, uh, fix it up, and then put a, a permanent loan on it. And, you know, that was great when I was working at Corporate America, and, but it wasn't a business plan for when I didn't have a, a day job. So I had to figure out how to do that. And I really liked the concept of sub two, and I really just kind of... Um, figured it out. You know, I bought a few courses, but, you know, nobody was really sharing the sales pitch. You know, how do you convince somebody that this is a good idea? And, you know, mine was, I didn't want people in default. I didn't want to catch up back payments because at the time I didn't have it. I didn't, or, you know, I didn't want to put it into a property that I'm yeah. going to hold. So I got really good at finding current loans nice houses, nice neighborhoods with current loans and getting them to sell me the house subject to. And, now we're uh, going to get in that into a minute because I'd like to talk, I'd like to spend some good time on talking about how you find leads. Um, sure. But talk about, if you could, two things. Your journey into creative real estate and why you like that so much because that's something near and dear to my heart. Um, and also talk about after that kind of what happened when the market started uh, going south? Well, creative real estate was kind of the only option because when you're broke, oh, yeah? <laughs> you don't really have any other option. <laughs> right. and, and, and you mentioned subject two before. Just to, if somebody doesn't know what that is, that's when you take over an existing loan. You buy a house subject to the existing mortgage. And lease options is when you lease a house with an option to buy it in the future. So uh, talk about your journey into that a little bit more and why why it fits so well for you? Well, I had to figure out a way. And I mean, it, it's not that I wasn't making some money, but at, at some point you got to be able to be in business. I mean, my goal specifically was to be in business uh, um, because I needed, one, a paycheck 
to support my family and also a way to build, you know, the wealth. And that's, you know, one of the ways was wholesaling, one of the ways was retailing, and the other way was, uh, you know, creative finance applied to all these techniques and, and, you know, keeping properties for the long haul. And subject to and lease option were, were great strategies to do that and control them long term. Because, again, my, my goal was eventually end up with a, a whole portfolio of rental properties uh, free and clear that will support me for the rest of my life Yeah, and, my, you know, me and my family. So. so then what – you started buying houses subject to. Um, mm-hmm. Were you buying homes on lease options or just selling them on lease options? I, I did a few on lease options, but then I'm, I'm really an over-control freak. Uh-huh. And I just didn't like the, um, you know, some of the what ifs with the lease option. So sub two seemed to be a better fit, and that's what I'm. I mean, I don't know everyone's market, but I think there's always a sweet spot in any market where you can find value to rent and make something where you can buy a property with an loan and and get it to cash flow. Now, in my market, I can do that, but I can't do that as a straight rental. And if you, if you really, you know, when you hold properties long enough, you kind of realize what gross cash flow and, and net cash flow are, and you really get a, a, a you, you feel the tough love difference when you don't know it early on. And yeah. you realize you're, you're actually feeding properties, even though on any given month they look positive. Because um, vacancy happens. Um, you know, maintenance items happen. Even when you're doing rent-to-own, if people don't buy it, you're going to get it back. You probably didn't put that down payment that the last person gave you into the bank. So you've got to write a check. You've got to get it fixed up. You might miss a month of rent because you're doing some fix-up on it. Um, So those things are real legitimate expenses. And you kind of figure out that, okay, if I'm renting this property, it's bad math. Uh, But if I offer it on lease-to-own, if I can give somebody else uh, the ability to buy it, if I can increase my cash flow by getting non-refundable option consideration payments up front, if I can get a little bit of a premium on rent, which I do pass back to people um, if they purchase the property. Um, but that way, it makes my property that might be in in the red or a negative cash flow deal as a straight rental and makes it a positive deal by offering it on rent to own. And the the good side is, that that's a great model. The bad side is, if you really want to have free and clear houses, you need to be able to understand marketing to get leads so you have a replacement property should you sell one. Right. So. Okay, so 2005, how many homes did you own? Oh, gosh. Uh, 2005 is when my wife joined me. I had, I believe, around 24, 25 houses. Okay, and then well, when, when was the height of the market in Colorado? 2006? Uh, probably early 2007. And then, you really? know, people. Okay. Well, probably, you know, in the fall of 2006, that's when subprime started going by the wayside. But there were still subprime lenders out there into 2007. And, you know, I don't think anybody really wanted to realize what was happening. And, you yeah. know, values were still pretty stable into the first part of 2007. Uh, and I think most of 2007, we didn't really see any downward pressure. But when 2008 hit, I mean, it, it hit. And, I mean, things started diving, 2008, 2009, 2010. Um, I mean, we were pretty stable into 2010 until the government got involved and we had a little tax credit. 
and we forced a bunch of sales into the first half of the year, mm-hmm. and then after that, it just, you know, it dropped off another, you know, what I call a shelf, and, you know, they were buying sales with an $8,000 tax credit, and then here locally, we lost about 10000 in value after that went away. Yeah. So it put the next round of people at risk being over-leveraged. So. It just extended the damage. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, all right, so you... I was trying to get to uh, how many homes did you own before the market crashed, and how did you survive? Uh, I survived by understanding cash flow um, and and not buying a house that would cost me money to keep it. And I I know a lot of people that were big sub-two buyers that, um, you know, would would take on negative equity because they were cashing out enough properties on the back end. And they're like, oh, I'll just ride the negative so I can get that back-end payday. And when those back-end paydays never happened, they basically just collapsed from mm-hmm. lack of cash flow. Or they were so, borrowing too much private money? Putting yeah, too much borrowing, private- yeah, a lot of people borrowed private money in second position, and they went negative, and, and you know, that was, I, that was just a bad model. Um, I mean, great model when the market's going up, but when it's yeah. not going up, that's a bad model. <laughs> so, I would argue that it's never a good model. Um, because I've made that mistake, I've been there, done that. Yeah, no, I, I've, I've had a couple uh, of days. I, I've done it, and that's why I know it's a bad idea. And uh, I've I've paid off, you know, I've taken some of our flips, and I've paid off my lenders, and yeah. uh, you know, I've kept them whole, and uh, I've kept all my private lenders whole. So, what were you going to say, Alex? I was going to say that uh, I've done that too. I, I I've had to. Uh, <laughs> go negative myself just to get rid of the you know get rid of the negative ones at that point or put you know 20 grand into them to get them up to a point where you can just sell and break even or even lose five or ten thousand while paying back your private lender you know that just goes to say that um you got to be real careful who you listen to these days uh and and there's some people it's not as bad now as it used to be but man there were so many people out there teaching um Borrow, some, borrow your get, profit. Borrow, borrow your profits. Profit, get them early. Profit. Get some private lenders in place. Um, things will always be going up. I mean, I remember looking at. In fact, I was just recently looking at an old course, and uh, that was written about five years ago, and they were showing you in the calculations for calculating your profit that you should always figure a conservative five percent for appreciation. No, I'm sorry. Take that back. Eight or nine percent conservatively for appreciation on these homes. Mm, yeah. Holy um, cow. Yeah, and and so many and um, you know I, I'm not saying I'm innocent of doing this, but so many were were counting on appreciation, um, and then justifying that to go into debt way over their heads and ignoring the fundamentals. Um, it's heartbreaking. A lot yeah. of damaged lives, um, and, and well, I think. Go ahead, Jim. I think, you know, and, and I think it sounds like we've all learned a lesson that borrowing a profit is a bad idea, yeah. and, and it puts everybody at risk. And if the deal doesn't support itself, um, then then don't do it. And mm-hmm. and I do, and, and I think we'll probably talk about a little bit about how I'm doing finance deals today yeah. and, and why I'm doing them a certain way. And some people might say I'm giving away too much. Other people, I think, will understand, and, and you guys will probably understand why I'm structuring them a certain way, but... Well, I definitely want to talk about that because 
there there what? are other ways to invest in real estate without getting into debt. Sure, sure. It's almost like getting yourself a credit card, isn't it? Borrowing profit like that, you're just getting a high interest credit card. Yeah, yeah. With with no payments sometimes, and, yeah. and we all know what happens <laughs> when you don't make payments. So. Yeah. Okay, so um, what you kind of have to adjust your strategies a little bit, Michael, when the market starts collapsing. Um, what are some things that you're doing differently today than, than what you were doing uh, three, four years ago? Well, and, and I don't know if I answered the, the how did I get through it question. Oh, Let yeah, go ahead. Answer that real quick. Yeah, I yeah, mean, please. more or less, it's just buying properties that I know will afford themselves on a month-to-month basis. And, and, and I'll tell you a quick story. And this was the first house I bought here in Colorado Springs was in uh, 2000. And the year prior, we had 11% appreciation, almost 12%. And it was like, oh, you could do no wrong. You know, you buy, you know, you go bid on something, uh, and there were multiple offers, and it was like a highest and best, even at a retail level, yeah. not on a, on a wholesale level. And uh, so to get my first house, I overbid $3,500 to get it. And so now, in a nutshell, in 2000, that's or you know 2001 that's when the market started slowing down so now i'm over financed $3500 on what my house is worth um so i overpaid for that property but today i still own that house and that house uh, i'm shooting from the hip here probably about $475 a month in cash flow every nice. month yeah and what allowed me to hold a house that I paid too much for was the ability of the house to afford the debt service on it. Right. Meaning, how much rent will that property generate, uh, which is going to allow me to hold on to it. So time cures all wounds in real estate. You can overpay so long as, you know, people don't go broke by being negative equity. People go broke because they can't afford the payments. And the only way we make payments is having a house that a tenant will gladly pay enough rent to cover the debt service. And I'm imagining um, that you are very good at managing your cash flow yes. to cover uh, unexpected things that could go wrong. Yes, and, and I will give kudos to my wife. My wife does the day-to-day accounting, and, and she is a, a master of that. So she, I mean, currently we have 96 properties, she told me yesterday, uh, that we... Uh, manage uh, that are our, there are properties. Yeah. So ninety six properties. Ninety six. Yes, keepers, <laughs> and then we have uh, our rehabs on top of that. So awesome. uh, we've got over a hundred on the books right now. <laughs> well, you got to be pretty busy, Michael. Um, one might think. I, I, I think you know, in our company, we have pretty good systems, and we have pretty good subcontractors, and. You know, right now I would say my wife is working pretty hard uh, because we have a lot of tenant turnover. And although that monetarily is very good for us, she's working a lot more because she's qualifying a lot more tenants before we put them in our houses. Yeah. And we we have tried to outsource that. We've just never found anybody that takes the same amount of, I, I guess, prequal that we do. And my wife is very good at reading people. She's very good at reading uh, character outside of stuff that you're going to see from pulling a credit report, from pulling a criminal report, and things like that. And we've just got 
a much better caliber of people that we put in our houses when my when my wife does it, meaning somebody who has a stake in the game is picking the person. That's good. So we still have that. So, I mean, but normally when we're not, you know, having so much turnover, I mean, we, we both leave a pretty casual work environment. If we take some time off, uh, which we do tend to do. We were gone for a couple of weeks in Italy. We typically go to, Can- my wife's Canadian, so we go to Canada usually for uh, a week a year. We take a lot of little side trips. Um, my wife's going to Tahoe next weekend uh, with a friend. So, I mean, we, we've got things set up so we can do the things we need to do, and all we need is a cell phone and, and in some cases, maybe bring uh, bring a laptop. But uh, most of the time, we don't even need to do that. Now, how did you buy most of those 96 homes? Uh, either subject to the existing financing or seller financing. And I do have, um, you know, disclosure. Most people tell you, don't go get a loan, don't sign personally. But uh, I would also tell you, if I if the cash flow on the ones that I've got loans on were the same across my portfolio, I probably would triple my cash flow. Um, they're the safest deals out there. Um, the last one I got a loan on was a 232, as is property I bought for 133. So I'm pretty safe in that, both from a cash flow perspective and an equity position. So yeah. I could dump it if I had to. Um, uh, on homes that you're buying today, mm-hmm. um, about what percent equity do you need to have on that underlying mortgage, or you know, the sum of all of the underlying mortgages? I get asked that a lot, and. For me, it really depends on how good the house is. Okay. Um, I bought a, and I'm going to give you the worst price I paid for one recently, but explain why, and then I'll tell you what my norm is. But um, I just bought a house in what we call Stetson Hills. It's a, it's kind of like Path of Progress on the east side of town. You know, a lot of, you know, movie theaters, restaurants, shopping centers, Best Buy, you know, that type of thing, all going on out there. Um, fairly newer neighborhoods. Uh, for me, the easiest house to fill uh, as a rental perspective is a two-story with a basement, four bedrooms, three bath, two car. And this one is that. It also has a walkout basement. It's on a cul-de-sac. It has nice city lights views. I mean, it's a keeper property um, by all definitions. Now, right now, I don't think the house would sell for any more than 189 as it is. I bought it subject to a seven-year-old loan uh, at 182 or 181 uh, But I've got a wow. seven-year-old, seven-year-old loan. I've got very little equity, but I have cash flow, but I've got a keeper property. And part of my decision to do things nowadays is, you know, a couple of my mentors, um, uh, I, I've been lucky enough to meet, make some really good contacts in this business. And I was uh, at uh, a friend of mine, David Tilney's house. Uh, David teaches property management for single family houses nationally. He's very well uh, recognized for that. Uh, and I'm sitting with him and I'm sitting with John Schaub, and another local guy, uh, Vern Holloway, who at one point has owned over 300 and some houses here in the Colorado Springs market. And these guys were joking about houses they had bought back in the day and how now they're getting more in cash flow per year than what they paid for the house. And, <laughs> wow. 
it, it, it just gives you a little bit of perspective that it, it's not always right now. It's what's in the long term. And, you know, they joke about some of the stuff they used to own. And, you know, a lot of the guys that have owned stuff long term, it's, it's having the right product that's going to attract the right tenant and have that tenant want to stay there for the long haul. So and are you, even if, uh, even sorry, if my tenant doesn't buy it, I want them to stay there as long as possible because the less turnover I have, the less expenses I have with the property. So, how much do you cash flow on this particular house? Yeah. Um, basically, because it's a lease to own, uh, we're going to get the equivalent of about three to three hundred and fifty per month. Now that wow. and, and, now hold on, that assumes the upfront option consideration if you allocate that over the lease period. So oh, okay. does that make sense? So you, yeah. you've got to understand what are you really going to make in cash flow based on how much you get up front plus how much you get monthly. So this type of a house, because it's, it's in such a good area, you're willing to be that close. Correct. In value. And, and what's your feeling with the market in Colorado Springs? Do you think it's reached a bottom? Does mm. that play a factor? I think we're close, but I I still think we have this um, the robo signing moratorium. I mean that inventory hasn't gone away; it's still out there. Yeah. And you know the little snazzy charts you see that you know by state that how much in shadow inventory uh, Colorado we've got at least two years of that, and that assumes that robo signing stuff starts coming through the pipeline here pretty soon. Wow. Um, so I'm still I, amazed I, that you would you would still use you would still keep that deal. So. What's your, your well, no. right? It's the right house, yeah. and you got to look at the amortization. I I don't have a thirty year loan on that property. Mm. I have a twenty twenty four year old loan yeah. or a twenty four year loan on there. Or sorry, what about if the tenant moves out and now you've got ten or fifteen thousand dollars you got to put into the property to get it back into? Well, I don't, uh, and and a lot of that is avoided by pre qualifying the person you put in there. Yeah, that's true. And inspecting the home. Yeah, and I'll tell you, a lot of people get get themselves in trouble because they just think that they can just outsource the whole management side of things and not understand and learn about property management. And the wealthiest guys I know are also some of the best property managers. Now, I I will say I was really good up to a certain point. Uh, but I was too busy doing everything else to be good at property management. And my wife has taken over that, and she's done exceptionally well. Um, you know, she's from, you know, she's a nurse practitioner. She was in healthcare. You know, everything's a checklist. we got to go through the right checks in the right order to get things to make sure so we can get the right diagnosis. And she's just, a, you know, taken that kind of mentality and applied it to property management and you know she's learned from some of the best people like John like John Schaub like David Tilney um, you know some of these guys have you know been landlords for long term and uh, and even Jeffrey Taylor I mean Mr. Landlord let's not forget him I mean he's awesome um, you know and you take these different principles and you come up with a property management system that works for you and works for your business model and I, I think that's key, whereas a lot of people, oh, I'm just going to do rent-to-own, and that's going to solve all my property management me- needs, or, right. or, you know, so I don't really have to be good at it. I'm just going to get people to pay me more money so I can be bad at it. Um, I'd say usually you still end up with those scenarios where people are going to trash a house. And, and I won't tell you it does not happen where people don't live hard um, in the properties, and, you know, you, you 
you still are going to have to paint houses. You're still going to have to carpet them. But rarely, uh, unless there's some type of a water damage situation, are you going to have a, a $15,000 rehab on a rental uh, if you're doing it right. Now, you know, things do wear out. You've got to factor those types of things in uh, on a keeper deal. But um, Well, you could also, you know, if something did happen to it, you could advertise it as a handyman special lease option in the future. Yeah. And yep. because it's in such a great area, you probably would not have a problem finding somebody who could do that fix-up. No, I could rent it. Um, and I mean, our houses are, are gorgeous. I mean, my wife maintains our properties very well. And, and rental property, our houses look like retail houses. They don't look like rental houses for the most part. So we could rent our houses in what might be acceptable rental condition but it's not always acceptable for how we make them look so so in this house your, your particular this particular house your your long-term strategy is hopefully sell it in, in 10 years plus or keep yeah, it I, I i don't care I, I i used to want to save the world one tenant buyer at a time but anymore i don't care uh, we make it viable we give them all the tools resources and education uh and contacts to fix their credit we tell them what they need to do before they move into the property, um, so there's no surprises. Um, we tie their ability to purchase to them actually going and doing the things they need to do, and that's you know meeting with one of our mortgage professionals, or uh, you know we have uh, a new mortgage broker we're working with that has a whole um, you know credit repair division inside. Um, so they're literally on a month-to-month basis calling the people to uh, help them kind of pull through the process. And but I don't care if they don't. I, I mean, I don't care. Um, I, I want them to buy it because I'd rather get my profit out and move it into the next one. Or, or at this point, you know, I don't really want 97 houses unless I get a really good deal on the next one. But uh, so I probably won't exchange. I'll probably pay my taxes and definance one of my other properties uh, when when we sell them, so we can pare down from you know nearly 100 and get down to the uh, you know. Ideally, around 30, 40 frank layers would well, be uh, the, warm and fuzzy. The key to that, to taking on that kind of a deal, is to have the systems in place for property management. Mm-hmm. And you were just talking about that. because yeah. if, um, if I were going to suggest things to somebody who's new, who's going to do their first deal, they need to look at it both from an equity standpoint and a cash flow standpoint. Yeah. And keep yourself safe. Um, I, I think no less than 10% equity off the top, uh, preferably more like 15% equity off the top, and get a payment that you know unquestionably you can cash flow from a straight rental. So using easy numbers, if you get a house that will rent for 1300 keep your payment at around 1000 bucks. Yeah. Now, you can pump that up significantly by doing rent-to-own and getting option consideration, but worst-case scenario is, I mean, what happened in the mid-2000s? You couldn't get a good tenant. They were all buying houses. Yeah. <laughs> you know, nobody had a good FICO score that was applying for a rental property. So, uh, you know, you've got you've to work with what you can get. Mm-hmm. So, What uh, type of uh, option considerations are you getting nowadays? Um, we our, our minimum is three and a half percent within year one. Um, I like to uh-huh. obviously get as much of that up front as possible. The higher their FICO score, the more flexible we are with how much up front. But 
the goal is year by year one three and a half percent and that's to kind of match up with FHA um, three and a half percent down payment so guideline. you'll take payments over the first 12 months to get to that yeah and and we'll put them in you know which we used to do separate notes for the option consideration now we just put them in at a higher rent and a higher rent credit yeah um, because typically in year two we increase the rent five percent and we're increasing 5% on an already higher rent number. So there's incentive for them to buy it, uh, but they're not just paying excessive rent to pay excessive rent. We actually do apply it as rent credit. Um, so if, if $1,000 is market rent on the property and they're paying you know, 1200 they get $200 in rent credit. Um, and you know, I'd like, you know, in some cases, we'll try to give them more rent credit depending on the deal or maybe you know, the last the tenant moved out and they had big dogs and the house smells like a little bit like big dogs and we get the next person that comes in and they've got big dogs so they don't smell it <laughs> you know but we might give them a credit because the carpet's not in you know in, in awesome condition um, I'd rather give them a little bit more rent credit but when it comes down to them getting a loan the lender some will they will appraise the house from a rent perspective and they'll say no market rents a thousand you can't give them um, you know, rent credit down to the $900 per month mark. I can yeah. take it off the price, but I can't show it as down payment funds. And that's usually what we've got the, the challenges showing and proving that they have down payment funds invested so we can get them the actual loan. Michael, let me give you an example. I just met with a seller the other day, and, and you tell me what you would have done with this deal. Mm -hmm. um, they have a loan for 160 Okay. It's worth as is value. Yeah, as is, but it's in really good shape. Doesn't need any work. Okay. And it's worth probably they could sell it today <clears throat> for two hundred. It's listed at two fifteen, um, but they could okay. probably if they drop the price down to two hundred, they could probably sell it. Okay. Um, I met with them. I normally don't go meet with sellers, um, but I met with them because there was so much equity in it, and they said they. I made a mistake. Well, I'll get into that here. Um, they definitely wanted to walk away with at least thirty to forty thousand dollars in equity. Um, <clears throat> so they're open to doing selling creatively. Um, okay. I think they were more open to selling on a lease purchase than they would be with taking over the mortgage payments. Um, but there's about th they they would they said they would want to walk away with two hundred. Now, I didn't press the issue, but uh, if there's that much equity in it, it's worth about 200 They say it's listed for 215 but they would walk away for, with $200. Um, and the, let me tell you, the, the mortgage payment is 1300 and it would probably rent for sixteen to 1700 Sorry, say the payments again. The payments are, are 1300 Okay. and they could, it would probably rent for sixteen to 1700 Okay, just straight rent or rent to own? Uh, uh, both. I, I think, at least okay. in St. Louis, I found that um, the rent and rent to own rents are pretty close to the same, in my experience. But maybe okay. I'm not being aggressive enough. So say sixteen hundred straight rent and seventeen hundred rent to own. What I would, I mean, how I would approach them is I see equity I'm gonna go make an appointment and meet with them yeah. and and I, I still do this all, all my own because I'm 
in my opinion, I'm I'm a better negotiator than anybody I could ever train. Right. Um, I'm going to go there, and I'm going I'm not going to do anything exciting uh, with with that much debt owed on the house. I'm going to do what a lot of people teach. I think Lou Brown was one of the first ones, but you walk out there and you show them a net sheet. And I'm going to show them comps that justify a $200,000 price. And maybe uh, I'm going to average the retail comps and maybe bump that down 3% to show them maybe it's, you know, more like 190, you know, let's just say 192. And then you're going to pay commissions at 6% on that. 6% is normal for our end. And you're likely going to pay 3% in seller paid concessions. Um, And and usually nowadays with our MLS, um, I'm a licensed, no, I'm not licensed, but I'm a, a quote assistant. So I have access to the MLS and I can print off, you know, comps and I can actually show concessions. Yeah. Uh, that house is sold for. So they can see that 3% as a real number. Yeah. And so there's 9%, and then I can show them, well, then let's look at the days on the market. In your area, the average is, let's say, four months. And then this is kind of my week, my breakthrough into the sub two. And I'm like, and what was your payment again? What's your monthly payment again? Yeah. Oh, okay, your payment is 1300 times four. So what's that come out to? And usually I would have given them a calculator to figure out. So they're actually working the math. So they're saying, oh, 1300 times four, that's $5,200. Okay, great. I'm going to write that $5,200 on the line there. And you know, a lot of these houses, if this is a listed house, if it's in as this condition, you say, you know, normally if the house needed any repairs, but in this case, your house looks great. You've done a good job of taking care of it. Um, I'm not the person that's going to tell them everything that's wrong with it. I'm going to compliment them. My job is to build rapport. Yeah. Okay. But I would also say, normally if you're selling it with the real estate agent, once you do get an offer, that buyer's going to, uh, you know, their realtor is going to make them hire a property inspector and that home inspector is going to come through and this person makes $300 to go tell you what's wrong with your house right. or to tell them what's wrong with your house. And they're going to find something because they have to justify the fee that they're charging. And I would say, from my experience, when I'm reselling my houses, it's never less than $1,000, okay? And because your house is so nice, I would say it's probably going to be the minimum. So let's put $1,000 in there, yeah. okay? And now I'm just going to say, okay, so let's take 192 and let's, you know, I'm going to have them figure out the math. So ultimately, I'm going to get this thing down to 87 to 85% of the right now as is value. Right. You know, if there's more repairs, it's going to be a lower number or lower percentage. But let's say no repairs, we're at 85 to 87%. Um, if the initial averaging of retail comps doesn't push me down as low, you know, wow, I'm getting a little less equity there, but that just means I'm a stronger market. You know, people are willing to pay more of top value in that particular area. So again, that's safer, even though it's lower equity. If there's a bigger payment spread, I'm going to get a bigger drop just from that averaging of the retail value. And now I've logically shown them what they will net from a $200,000 house. And usually, you know, when they kind of have that gasp look, and I say, you know, I know your realtors are supposed to, and I don't mean to bash realtors. I make a lot of money from realtors. But in this scenario, my negotiation is what's their alternative. And in this case, maybe they didn't get a good realtor. If they had a good realtor, the house probably would have sold, (laughs) unfortunately. (laughs) Um, 
and, and a good realtor probably would have priced it accordingly or not taken the listing in the first place and told him it's not going to sell at that. But we all know what happens sometimes. You, you don't get the best person, and, and that's why we're in there to play cleanup. But um, this person now sees logically what a net comes down to. And now I can say, and I can pay you the highest price possible if you're willing to, um, you know, I will take over payments on the existing financing and you wait on your equity until I get the property resold. And, you know, so you, you kind of tell them, I'll give you the same equity you'd get if you sold through a realtor. Right. And I'll take the risk. This, you know, as I already presented, I said, I'll take the risk of making the payments, the marketing, utilities, all the out-of-pocket expenses going forward until I get the property resold. Okay. Um, I said, I can give you a fair price. I can give you the same net, and I'll take all the risks going forward. Now, once I get there, then I'm going to show them how I resell the property and how I make a profit. And I typically say, I make a profit by reselling the property on my own without the use of a real estate agent. And I say, look, normally when you sell your house and you pay 6% commission, you know, your listing agent gets 3%, your buyer's agent gets 3%, um, and those two people then split it with their managing brokers. So that money gets chopped up into four pieces of the pie. Okay, I'm a real estate investor and I'm willing to take more chances, but I expect to be paid and compensated a little more. So, you know, that profit, I don't split that with anybody. Mm. And, and and I usually share that. Now, I'm also obviously going to premium price it. I'm going to make, you know, typically a 15%, maybe sometimes 20% spread because of the amortization, because of other factors. Um, so ultimately, I'm making more than that. But they understand I'm in this for a profit. I show them how I make a profit. Um, I'm completely upfront with that. And they... Typically, they're either going to do it or they're not going to do it. Um, I find presenting how I make money helps me land more deals because there's no mystery in it for them. Yeah, I like that. Now, are you um, are you going to be actually selling this on a lease option? Yeah. Um, and they're still going to be waiting for their equity until the uh, lease option tenant cashes you out? Or how do you Ab- do that? Absolutely. I explain to them... I do fix up properties, uh, and I say when I do, when I buy them from the bank and I fix up the ugliest house on the block and I make it the prettiest house on the block, I do hire a real estate agent and I resell them that way. In this particular case, I don't have the margin to do that. Otherwise, I'd be going all this work just to break even. So in this case, I sell them on my own, and if I get the first person that falls in love with the house and wants to call it home and I can get them qualified for a loan, I'm going to get them qualified for a loan and I'm going to get it cashed out. And I would say a small percentage of these deals work out like that. I'd say the majority of them, uh, the first person that's going to like the house, uh, I will end up selling it to them on a lease to own. And that is usually, best case scenario, a one to two year process. Okay? Um, And then if they still haven't opted out at that point, then I'm going to go through the, I don't think we're out of the game, out of the woods yet. I think it could be, you know, a couple more years of downward pressure on price. And I can't, I will not sell the house until I can make a profit on it. So um, if you're not okay with this being at least three to five years, uh, then let's not do the deal. You know, if anything, my stance is almost like takeaway. Like, I want you right. to be okay with the worst case scenario, because if you need this money, like in six months, I'm not your best option. And I flat out tell them that. And I say, you don't need to sell me your house. I don't need to buy it. 
Um, and, and it's all, you know, some of these things are, are sales techniques. Some of it are just building rapport. And they've got to be okie-dokie with you as a person before they're ever going to do business with you. So Absolutely. I found Absolutely. brutal honesty is, is worked best for me. <laughs> I like how you how phrase you that. How do their equity? Yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. How do you secure their equity? Promissory note or a second? Uh, I do a promissory note. Okay. Now, you, you you know, depending on the scenario of the property, uh, that will be secured or not. Okay. Like if I need to go, okay. if I need to do, in this particular house, this is a pretty house, there's no repairs, there's no need for any fix-up, I'm not going to borrow any private money to cover that fix-up, so there's no reason not to secure them in second position. And, and what I say, look, when we go to resell the house, title company does a title search, they're going to pay off your first mortgage, then they're going to pay you, and whatever the profit is above that, after you get paid, I get paid. So, the, um, But I also, and I didn't, this is just a little catch thing, I say, I don't make my profit until I resell the house. So you get paid when I get paid. And, and that's just one little statement that implies that I'm working toward a payday. And when I get my payday, you get your payday. But I'll take the risks in the meantime. That's good. That's good. Um, so you typically get a three- to five-year balloon, or do you get any kind of balloon? Uh, I don't give any kind of a balloon, no. Wow. I tell them I yeah, don't I know. do any straight rentals, but I said I'm not going to promise you Um when I'm going to sell because I don't have a crystal ball. I don't know when the market's going to correct. I, I don't know if it's going to continue to go down. But I will make the payments going forward until I get the property resold. You know, Joe, you know, Mike does a lot of creative deals like this. Um, I, I wonder, um, I, I think we're getting close to an hour on this one, but uh, I wonder if we can bring him back for a second call to talk about his zero finance deals. Yeah, we've <laughs> only touched like 25% of the things I wanted I wrote down <laughs> that I wanted to talk to Michael about. Uh, I think you're absolutely right, Alex. This is so good. Um, I think uh, um, we, we should probably – what time do we have here? Yeah, we're right about an hour. Um, let's, let's go ahead and end this for right now, and, and Michael, uh, we'll talk to you offline to see if we can push this to, uh, to part two. Yeah, absolutely, guys. Happy, happy to, happy to talk shop. I love, I love this business, and yeah. uh, always fun. Yeah, I appreciate that. This is, guys. I'm telling you, um, creative real estate is one of the best ways to make money. Now, wholesaling obviously is, is creative real estate. That's what Alex and I talk a lot about. Um, but if if you can get your hands or head wrapped around this thing. Um, and there's incredible potential to make very good money in this market, even in this market, with house prices still falling, maybe stabilizing in some areas. But if you buy smart, um, you can make very good money with these creative strategies that we're talking about. And I think um, on our next call, we're going to talk about how to do interest-free seller financing or principal-only payments. So Michael does a lot of that. Um, and we're also going to be talking about marketing. Um, I like to. T I have a lot of questions I want to ask Michael on how he finds his sellers and and how he finds his leads and um, 
Michael, you've given some really, really good negotiating tips and things to say. Um, let me ask you one more question here before we say goodbye. Um, sure. Michael, are, do, you, um, do you have any courses that you'd recommend or books, teachers? Do you have anything of your own that teaches people how to buy a home subject to? What's some good resources out there? Well, I, I do have one that I've taught. Uh, you know, I've taught it locally, um, but it's, it's available. Um, you know, I learned a lot of the stuff that was taught by Ron Legrand and some of Ron's students, um, and also Lou Brown. Um, you know, Lou Brown, I think came up with that, you know, negotiation from the kind of the net sheet. And, and I've used that very successfully. Um, you know, back when I got started, Peter Connie was very, you know, very active at teaching. And I learned, you know, he had at the time, he had a pretty good negotiation course, although I didn't, you know, his negotiation style and mine are, are, are a little different, but he's got some really good info. And, and I would also say, you know, you, it doesn't always have to be a course. Um, there's a couple of sales books, and um, Roger Dawson has a couple of great, like, absolutely must-reads. Um, uh, crap, Roger Dawson uh, has one on persuasion and on selling. Um, Cialdini has a couple of great books on persuasion that I think are must-reads. Yeah. And there's also a book called The Closer, uh, which is available. Well, there's the closers and the closers part two. Um, you got to get one before you get two, but those are both, I think, really good reads. And it's good. selling in the sense that you make the sale happen, and you're not like one of these pushy used car salesman types. It's you're you're systematically eliminating options um, and making yourself look like the best option if you are. If you legitimately are yeah. for that scenario, and and often you know, I good. find the best sales technique is just being honest. If you're not the best bet right now, tell them that. Yeah. And you know, in two months, if the house hasn't sold, when they do get to that drop dead deadline, they're gonna, you know, you're gonna be there, and you're gonna be following up. If you're, you know, when we talk about marketing, I'll I'll, I'll talk about that, but. They're not going to forget about you. And Good. when they do reach that deadline, now you're the obvious choice. And you didn't push them. You didn't try to get them to do something that wasn't the best bet at the wrong time for them. So. You know, a good way to put that is uh, you throw the dots out there for them and then let them connect them. <laughs> yes, yes, absolutely. That's a great way to put it. I like that, Alex. <laughs> well, cool. Michael, where can people go to get more information about you? Uh, I, I have two main websites, or you know, I'm I'm on Facebook. Uh, I'm on uh, MichaelJake.com or LocalMentor.com, and I got some free stuff out there people can sign up for. Um, I, I do have a few courses, but they're kind of hard to find. I'm not really good at selling them. So, <laughs> Michael does uh, does have some courses. He teaches uh, mentors a lot of people locally um, in, in the Colorado market, but he is doing deals today, as you've heard, which is what. We love about him and, and um, why we're really excited about, uh, about what he's doing. So um, we're going to sign off for now. And, uh, but, guys, go to realestateinvestingmastery.com, realestateinvestingmastery.com. Sign up for those bonuses we have on there. We go into a lot of the marketing that we do and virtual assistance, uh, how we do wholesaling and, and our businesses. Um, and 
you will also um, get notification when new podcasts come out. So you'll get a notice in the email of when uh, our episode number two interview with Michael Jake uh, gets released. So um, thanks a lot, Alex. Michael, we'll talk uh, again in a few minutes probably. <laughs> Great. All right, guys. Thanks. All right.